Kirby and the boys are probably talking about that one. Kirby Almost and the certainly. boys. How, the, how Kirby and the boys going to get out of this one? Looks like Sheriff Barry Odom has cut him <laughs> off at the pass. Hopefully there's not a flatbed truck turned into a ramp right beside the bridge. God bless him. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. I'm Justin. Today we're going to be talking about the upcoming matchup between your Georgia Bulldogs and the University of Missouri Tigers. So we're going to be doing our normal preview episode format. We're going to talk about the subjective narratives going into this. We're going to do a little history lesson. We're going to do some deep diving on uh, the advanced stats of Missouri. We are going to look at some stats worth highlighting for both us and Missouri after we go through a deep dive. We're going to talk about things we want to see. We're going to make some predictions and over-unders. And then we are going to go into our Ask CBC questions as always, which I'm sure will get wildly off topic and involve things that have nothing to do with college football. Um, you sure will. We'll, at some point, we'll probably get into what I assume is going to be James Barefield's Troll Corner. And then we'll go from <laughs> there. It's a new segment. Yeah, we got. We actually have a couple of real trolly ones, but I am experienced uh-huh. at how dealing with this. So. All right, so let's get into some subjective narratives. Usually we start this little with a little bit of history trivia. We talk about what's going into this game and also what has gone into this game over the past hundreds of years. So you got a history lesson for us this week? I do. So this is kind of fun. I learned a whole lot about Missouri and Columbia. Uh, these guys come from Columbia, Missouri. Missouri? This is Missouri. We're not messing around, right? Yeah. I always get mixed up. Mizzou is definitely Missouri. Yes. Um, How would so, you yeah. get it mixed up? I, I don't know. I always sometimes almost think that they might be from Mississippi, but I know they're not. Like I know that Ole Miss Missouri. is not. Yeah, it's you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. Louisville <laughs> or Maribel. Uh, in 1864, in the midst of the American Civil War, the Board of Curators for uh, the university suspended all operations of the school. And so it was during this time that the residents of Columbia, they had to form a home guard unit that became known as the Fighting Tigers of Columbia. And so this name was given because the group's steadfast readiness uh, to fight against Confederate bushwhackers, uh, hoping to plunder the city and the university. And they were under the command of a fellow named Bloody Bill Anderson. And later in 1890, uh, the school had been reformed and everything. And alumnus suggested that the university's newly formed football team be called the Tigers out of respect to those who fought to defend Columbia. And so that's where the Tigers name comes from. Uh, another fun thing I found out is that Missouri is the birthplace of homecoming, huh? which is really fun. So there are a few other schools that also try to lay claim to it, like Baylor, Southwestern, and Illinois. But by Trivial Pursuit and Jeopardy standards, they both say that Missouri is the one that came up with it. And I believe Alex Trebek, uh, I will follow him into the dark. Uh, 1911, though, Kansas came to Columbia. They were rivals since the team formed uh, as the Tigers back in 1890. The school encouraged all of the alumni to attend the game because it was a really big game. They had had this rivalry going on for you know a little bit over 20 years at this point. And so the school invited as many alumni as they possibly could and ended up having 10,000 come. And it was uh, there was a big parade and everything and, of course, marching band. And it's everything you would expect homecoming to be today was then essentially and it's pretty much been the same thing since then and uh it resulted in a 3-3 tie i I like how in your show notes here you said that ten thousand alumni attended the match but as though Uh only a soccer match could ever end in a (laughs) 3-3 tie (laughs) football was just basically rugby soccer back then 
Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a joke, but it was but also actually. sort of not. Very similar. So you got any more relevant <laughs> recent facts? Yeah, so Missouri is 1-8 one eight, one eight against top five AP poll teams since 2007, uh, which was the Armageddon at Arrowhead, which was the big game against, I want to say it was also Kansas. The Missouri uh, actually ended up winning. And I think it was it was essentially, it was very similar to the game uh, that UGA and Alabama played uh, back in, what, 2012, where we were seven yards from mm-hmm. the national championship, mm-hmm. that one. It was very similar to that. It essentially was the national championship. Um, and this is before we got Missouri into the SEC. Mm-hmm. And so they were still in the Big 12. Uh, they have five division titles in school history, with two of those in 2013 and 2014 in the SEC East. So they have had a pretty successful time here in the SEC East since they've uh, joined up. Their current head coach, Barry Odom, they are 13 and 14. Uh, that's his entire career um, stats there. They... Also beat Middle Tennessee thirty-five to seven, which is fun. And then I think that the notes that you ended up putting here are just Drew Lock good and Mizzou defense bad, which I think you can kind of lead us into what that even means. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to note is that Mizzou is actually one in seven all time against UGA. They are one in six against UGA uh, mm-hmm. during their time in the SEC. That only win coming during one of their SEC championship, SEC East championship seasons. Okay, so let's go through my two main talking points. And these are really, I think, distilled versions of the current, uh, I'll use one of our bingo words here. And if you had it on your card, you can check it off. The current zeitgeist of what the thinking of is going into this uh, <laughs> game is basically that Drew Locke and the entire Missouri offense, good. Mizzou's defense, bad. Uh, you know, if you want to just a sort of shallow surface level reading of this they gave up 37 points to purdue including 500 yards passing now purdue is run by jeff brahm and they are an up-tempo offense who will throw the ball around a lot but that is still quite a bit of yards to give up to a basement dwelling 0-3 big 10 team so let's go into the advanced stats and talk about how that bears out because it's not enough to make fun of the ineptitude of a defense that you're playing you have to really if you're gonna flay someone you might as well do it in an anatomically correct session. I'm the kind of mm-hmm. torturer that likes to go in with some med school knowledge and some books on, you know, human anatomy. So S&P plus update as of 9.15. So Mizzou, they are 3-0. They have 2.4 second order wins. They should basically be 2-1. A lot of that has to do with their results against Purdue last week, which we can go over that in just a moment. Mizzou has 2.4 second order wins in in large part because of their 39% post game win expectancy against Purdue. I love that. They basically should not have won that game. Uh, they no. had a 51% percentile performance, 58 on offense, 11% percentile performance on defense. And just as an update, that is a measure of how well they played in terms of their abilities and the abilities of their opponents. So that was a bottom 11% performance from their defense, which hopefully we get that kind of number again next year or next week and next year, I guess. So they yeah, are uh, S&P Plus. They are 29th overall. They have the 10th ranked uh, offense and the 82nd ranked defense. Their special teams S&P Plus is 83rd. Last week, they were 16th. They actually dropped 13 points in a win because they frankly should not have won that game. In terms of their five factors over uh, overall, we can see that there's some real wonky numbers in here. So I just want to go through them real quick and just walk you through the what the profile gives us. So let's start on offense. I'm going to do the S&P Plus five factors and then their offensive fo- footprint first. That way we can sort of uh, keep straight, you know, all one side of the ball. So offensive, mm-hmm. offensively, efficiency. They are ninth in the nation on success rate. They are 14th in the nation on marginal efficiency. 
isoPP plus they are 74th in isoPP plus they are 72nd in marginal explosiveness average field position 73rd uh, points per scoring opportunities 58th expected turnover margin is plus 0.9 their actual turnover margin is one so they have a 0.0 points per game in turnover margin luck offensive footprint their standard downs run rate they are 71st they like to throw their passing downs run rate they are 83rd they really like to throw mm-hmm. adjusted pace they are 27th they're pretty quick uh, they're not quite like 2012 Oregon fast, but they are very, very fast. Percent- percentage of solo tackles, which I think is a very interesting sort of flavor stat, um, is they are third in the nation in percentage of solo tackles forced, which basically sort of it works out with what you think of from their offense over the past few years. This is a team that likes to throw to space and get people in open in the boundaries. Now, you mm-hmm. can certainly be an ineffective or effective offense with this number on either side this is just a personality number but it is interesting they are going to try to force your guys to make tackles one-on-one havoc rate allowed they are 12th in the nation they basically do not give up very many only 10 percent of their offensive snaps they give up havoc plays yeah so defensively um not not quite as good so 77th in the nation no. in success rate, 99th in the nation in marginal efficiency, 84th in the nation in ISOPP+, 79th in the nation in marginal explosiveness, 15th in the nation in field position. I guess they have a good punter. We can look into that in a second. Finishing drives, yeah. they are 97, the points per, uh, points for scoring opportunity, they are 97th with 4.92 yard um, points per trip inside the 40 surrendered. Uh, in terms of their personality stats standard downs run race faced they are 129th they have not faced a lot of runs basically because purdue was a track meet pass downs run rate <laughs> that's it's it's really true it, it was just know, a was, bunch of people in tank tops um pass downs they're all handing off the baton yeah exactly all right you scored all right our turn pass down run rates they are 116th <laughs> they have not seen a lot of running at all overall havoc rate they are 89th dl havoc rate 47th lb havoc rate 105th db havoc rate 70 Pa- uh, passes defense to interceptions 124th which that one, last one just basically tells us that they play it safe in defending mm-hmm. the pass so my big level takeaways if, if we're just going to talk about sort of how these two teams fit together in the matchup my big level takeaways on what we know about mizzou they are hellishly um, efficient offensively they just consistently can get yards on you which unfortunately does not match up very well against uga however outside of their very high efficiency stats they do not have a lot of the five factors that recommend them as a good offense however they are still ninth in the nation offensively because they are just are very good efficient offense if we kind of drill down into their offense a little bit more the rushing marginal efficiency the 30th so they don't necessarily have a lot of explosive runs their marginal explosiveness is 87th their opportunity rate is 67th and their stuff rate is 26th but that combination of marginal efficiency 30th stuff rate 26 tells you that they basically can just get some amount of yards when they rush they very Mm -hmm. rarely have a bad play passing marginal efficiency 10th passing completion rate 30th Passing marginal explosiveness, 56th. So, you know, they are a decently explosive team that will throw deep on you, but also they just get yards most of the time. They're they're very efficient. They're very efficient on passing downs as well. 14th in efficiency, 18th in explosiveness, 39 in uh, PD line line yards per carry, and first in PD sack rate. They have yet to give up a sack on a passing down. On standard downs, they are 23rd in marginal efficiency, and they are 111th in explosiveness. So this is a team that was not going to throw deep on you when you don't think that you're they're going to throw deep, per, basically. Uh, their mm-hmm. line yards per carry, 38th. So you know they're mar- they're pretty efficient in terms of opening up holes, and their standard out sack rate, 27th. So 
you know, the top line numbers don't necessarily look very good, especially since they just apparently are not connecting very well on deep balls and explosive plays in first and second down and first and second down and short. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that if you get, if you are that efficient, you're not going to be facing a lot of third and long, second and longs. And actually that sort of holds up a little bit. Their third and long percentage offensively is 53rd in the nation. Their third and short position is 51st. Third and long success rate, 29th. Third and medium success rate, 18th. And third and short success rate, 51st. A lot of they they just have a very they're very good at getting you in third and shorts, and they're pretty good at converting those. So that's mm-hmm. basically where they are uh, defensively. Sort of drilling down into that. There's really <laughs> there's really not too much that they're good at defensively. They're no, at, there's really not much at all. They're af- they're average at. Let's let me just give you the things that they're average at. They're they're okay. They're good at rushing marginal explosiveness. They they will keep you from opening up a big rushing play. Now they have not faced a lot so of far. rush. Yes, they've not faced yeah. a consistent dose of running yet. They are above average at opportunity rate, 31%. So that kind of hooks into their explosiveness pretty good. Their stuff rate, and this is the one that really gets the blood flowing, their stuff rate is 94th. <laughs> Ooh, oh, baby. Oh, baby, that one feels Ooh. good. Standing down's marginal efficiency, 106th. Standard down's marginal explosiveness, 69th. Standard down's line per carry, 30th. So they've, you know, they've got a very active defensive line. They're not necessarily going to just give you free yards on the defensive line. They're passing sack rate, 121st. They're passing down sack rate, 109th. Passing down's marginal explosiveness, 100th. So they give up the big play, and they give up yeah. the short play, and they give up the medium length play. Uh, so that's that's sort of a profile of Mizzou. So what do you think? What 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 are you pulling out of this? If you look at if we, when we look at all these plays, uh, I break it down into individual players. And just like your uh, your pre notes said, Drew Luck is or Drew Lock is very good. He's super good. He so far, if you're if you're looking at him, he is the offense along with he has five receivers that have all had a uh, hundred plus yards already this season. Uh, each of them have scored an average of two touchdowns, and um, their top wide receiver Emmanuel Hall actually has 25 targets, 18 catches. It's good for 430 yards, three touchdowns. His yards per catch is at 23.9 right now. His yards per target, 17.2. He is operating at a 31% marginal efficiency. So Jesus. Yeah, right? Like, he's way better than we all expected. And beyond that, they have a tight end in uh, Albert in uh, a name I'm not going to pronounce. Albert. I refuse to pronounce it. His name's Albert. He's the tight end. Albert tight end. He's also fantastic. And he's huge. He's freaking huge. He's 6'5", 255. He has already caught for 100 yards. He had two touchdowns. He's also good for 7.1 yards per catch. So he's going to run on you. He's going to run through you. And they've got three more guys that I don't even have to mention just to say that Drew Locke's got targets. Drew Locke's already thrown for 1,062 yards. He has a 70% completion rate, 11 touchdowns, only one interception out of all those. And uh, he's thrown 113 times and 78 completions on the year so yeah, far. So Just in he, three he, games. he's definitely the fact that his completion rate is lower than Jake Fromm's is basically because because he's thrown more passes. Exactly. Yeah, he's throwing tremendously. But that is essentially the key to beating this team as well. Can we stop Drew Lock, which is what everybody's saying, but we can break down further and and ask the question like how do you stop Drew Lock with our defensive stats in mind? So, I guess that's probably where we'll head next. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about it. So, we are not a very efficient defense. Bill Connolly, I, after I wrote this, I would like to point out, of course, he can read the numbers better than I can, but I also caught it is all I'm saying. Uh, he released <laughs> a 
he released a piece on SB Nation saying something about what is the biggest weakness on the top five teams. And his thing, his entry about UGA was that basically UGA has a very bend-don't-break offense and that a patient defense can, or a patient, or a, a bend-don't-break defense and that a patient offense can actually have success against us. And I think that that's borne out by the fact, by what we've seen to this point in the year. You know, so in order for them to be successful, they have to put us in a position where they are comfortable being patient with the ball, right? So they cannot get behind, mm-hmm. you know, in order for us to get successful, we need to put them in a position where they can't be patient, where they have to push, because if they can sit back and pick us apart five yards at a time, they're going to be very good at doing that. They aren't all that explosive, which doesn't which doesn't really play to our strengths, which is to say they're not very explosive and we're very good at defending explosiveness. So it's like our strength mm-hmm. is there when it doesn't need to be. However, they do have very explosive receivers. So having that as sort of a security blanket is nice. They are 82nd in big place surrendered in the open field. So, you know, in terms, you know, defensively, I think that kind of is going to tie into one of my keys here in terms of what stopping how we stop Drew Locke. Uh, they don't have an amazing sack rate on either passing downs or standard downs, and they are not giving up very few. They're giving up very few sacks, so it's unlikely that the D lines play a huge role in this. So I feel like we're going to have to get some stuff out of the outside linebackers. That's all I got offensively for them. Uh, they're 94th in defensive stuff rate, as I said, and we are third in offensive stuff rate, which you know to me just says we can be very efficient against this D. We can run the ball against them, or we should be able to. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're not really good at anything in pass defense. 87th in, depis- in, in defensive passing completion rate is their best advanced passing stat. However, they have faced the highest number. They faced an incredible number of passes, which is going to, on aggregate, draw down the passing average, the completion average against them because they've faced more passes than we have. Yeah. So um, that's sort of who they are. I think that's how they match up with us. I think the big line takeaway, if you're looking for like a 10-second takeaway from this, is that this is a team that is very efficient and can basically efficient you to death, efficiency you to death. And that's not necessarily Dink and Dugs. That's like they can turn six-yard plays into nine-yard plays. And they're mm-hmm. very, very good at that. And they will run quickly up to the line and do that to you all day. How we stop them is we have to play if we are not going to be efficient defensively, if we are going to bend up, don't break, we have to have very good drive finishing stats in terms of our points per scoring opportunities surrendered. And we also have to have very good explosiveness stats because if they're going to let them dink and dug us to, to death, we cannot also let them score a 60 yard touchdown. Cause I, I, I do think this can't be like last year where it was just a shootout. Mm-hmm. I don't think things will go well if this ends up being a shootout like last year. And, what that means to me is that we we don't want them to get into a situation where they feel like they absolutely have to pass every single moment they have. They're going to pass regardless, but if they feel like they have to pass, they're going to be making they're going to be looking for more explosive plays, which you've just mentioned. We're very good at at keeping the explosive play. Well, no, I mean, I think we're kind of transitioning. Let's take this opportunity now because we're kind of transitioning out of like, here's some stats you should look at. Here's some stats like we're going to waggle our eyebrows at. And let's talk mm-hmm. about things we want to see, like sort of keys to success for us. So I think that kind of sets you up pretty nicely for what you were saying about explosiveness. Yeah. So I I just want to make sure that if we are playing from well up ahead, we want to make sure that we are uh, prepared for the explosive plays. And I think that with those explosive plays, they're going to be targeting the weakest piece in our secondary, which is, of course, Tyson Campbell. Yeah. I think he has had a lot to learn and he has learned a lot from the last three games. And I think we're going to see more and more from him and a lot less mistakes as we go forward. I don't think he's going to get tricked uh, from QBs. 
as often anymore. Mm-hmm. Though this will be the most uh, challenging, you know, interaction he's had with a QB up to this point. So we'll definitely have to see. I know that he. Who did we play? Oh, it was uh with South Carolina. Tyson Campbell versus South Carolina gave up so against South Carolina. Tyson Campbell gave up one long pass play, but was he that has, what it was? Yeah, I was making sure I wasn't he, wrong. He's, yeah, he gave up a touchdown to Brian Edwards, but other than that, he pretty much had a very successful day against two or three very very good wide receivers. Yeah, and I think that we really need to to really be comparing this game to that game specifically because I think our playbook looks a lot different game to game of course because as we get deeper into the season we're going to be giving up more we're going to be opening up the playbook more as people become more uh accustomed to what we have done and by people i mean other teams Mm -hmm. and also our own players begin to understand and develop further and they understand what else we can do in certain situations and so i just believe we have a, a very specific sec centric playbook that you know basically just the the teams in our conference are going to get to see yeah, I, I think we will. I think we'll see, especially more movement on the defensive line as opposed to just straight bull rush. I think we'll see less rotation. You know, in terms of the number one thing I want to see that kind of plugs into that is we need to get a consistent push up front. We need to get Havoc plays from the front seven, probably at least two. And the reason I would say that is, I, I mean, I don't think that we need like 10 sacks to win this game. That wouldn't hurt, mm-hmm. but we don't need that, right? We don't need to have a dominant front seven. We just need a front seven that can hold serve and be consistent and not get dink and dunk to death. We need a front seven that can get us into third and medium situations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that we have shown that in flashes, but I think the numbers, the advanced stats don't reflect that because we have never been consistent about it. And I think if we're going to be comfortable in this game and not have to sweat it down to the fourth quarter, that's something we need to see. I think we can win still if we don't see that, but I, it, it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, do you have any other things that you think we should, you want to see? To In a way, Echo, you had just said, I, I want to make sure that we are presenting more pressure from the D-line and making sure that we're keeping the ball, uh, the, the throw short. I know that we don't want to be, I think you've said it a few times now, dinked and dunked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, be... This is a team that can six yard pass you to death. Yeah. Yeah. Is what I, I mean, mean by we, that. We want to be, you know, we want to be less successful in this game. We want to be less efficient in this game. So we need more pressure from the D line. And I think being able to keep our secondary under their receivers uh, shorter as well is just going to be able to allow us to do a bit more with our defense. Don't get spread down the field, which will allow us to have more pressure from the D line. I think that's going to be important in this game. Yeah. You've been talking about Havoc plays. Yeah, Havoc plays are going to be super important yeah. for this D-line, I think. Yeah, I mean, and Havoc plays will be a good sign of that. But if you just, to me, the my sort of, you know, in the moment, I'm not going to be able to track Havoc plays. I mean, I guess I could, but because I'm not going to this game. So um, to me, sort of my indicator for that is on obvious passing downs, does our D-line get st- stood up at the snap? Our D-line does mm-hmm. not have to destroy theirs. I think this should be a really good game for Tyler Clark. They're outside, they're, uh, their tackles are better than their interior linemen. And I think this is an opportunity that Tyler Clark and Daquan Hawkins buckle uh, have definitely have an opportunity to shine. But we don't necessarily just need to see them like throwing men around. You know what I mean? We, ju- we just need mm-hmm. to see this, the center and the offensive guards take two or three steps back. Just cl- you know, crimp the pocket down on him, make it so that he has to try to roll out or extend the play, and then close down and play contain correctly. And if we can do that, we can be successful against this offense, I think. Um, that sort of h- hooks into mind because if we're going to be crimping but not all, but not straight up destroying Drew Locke, which I think is probably true because he's pretty good at extending the play, um, I think Tyson Campbell needs to give up no more than one long TD. I think he'll probably give up one. 
They yeah. they just throw the ball a lot. It's just going to happen. Um, but I think he's got to be able to get burnt, go back out there, and just keep working hard. You know, mm-hmm. and even if that means he officially he you know occasionally gets bumped with a, a, a penalty, that's fine. Because you know Kirby has always had the has always been of the philosophy that if you are getting aggressiveness penalties that's really not that bad and so one or two pass interferences as long as they're not crippling in this game is probably fine especially from a player as young as him because that pass pass interferences mean he's generally not giving up 85 yard touchdowns uh the last thing i was going to say is just i want to make sure that we are targeting as many uh receivers um using both our quarterbacks i want to make sure we're using as many running backs as we can in this game i don't think it's going to be a game where we just see jake from We've already seen in the last few games that we're obviously not redshirting Justin Fields, so I think we, he will have a factor in this game to some extent. I think he's going to have a factor in just about every game we see here from here on out, and that just helps keep them both fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to look kind of similar to... I think it's a, definitely a different situation from the national championship last year, but we we saw Jalen Hurts come out and Tua go in, and that's just because one thing wasn't working and he, you know, Saban knew another thing might. Um, but I think that that kind of give and take is going to be really helpful here for us because that'll allow us to control the ball longer. I think the game is going to come down to possession, uh, especially if it goes into a shootout. I'm hoping it does not go into a shootout, of course, but one way to present or prevent that shootout from happening is to just hold onto the ball longer, is physically have the ball for longer than the other team in the 60 minutes. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So let, yeah. let's go into some over-unders. All right. You want to go first? Yeah. Under, over-under .5 D-line Havoc place. Uh, I think over. I think just. Uh, I, I think that we come in at one, maybe two tops. Um, I think that's a safe bet. I think just putting more pressure on Drew Lock. I think over is a safe bet, if only because they're going to be more opportunities. Because Drew Lock will hold the ball a little bit more. What's your first one? I said to kind of tie into my last thing. I wanted to see over and under UGA having five more minutes uh, possession time than the opposite uh, than Missouri. Ooh, this is a good one. Let me hear your answer first. Uh, I do think it's going to be over, and I think it's just because we're going to have a lot more going on offensively than they do, and so we're going to try our best to be more efficient, because like I said, that's how you end up preventing this from becoming a shootout, is having fresh legs in constantly, um, just... What do you keep saying? Dinging and dunking. Dinking and, and dunking. dunking. That This is a dinking real term. I've I never heard that before. I just didn't Why make it up. I, I didn't make that up. That's a real thing. I think if we're dinking and dunking, it'll prevent them from dinking and dunking. But sure. I think that we... Had... <laughs> Who says dinking and dunking? Is this a sports term I'm, I'm unaware yes, of? Yes, yes, it's a sports term you're unaware of. Damn I'm going to Google dinking and dunking. Yeah, Google football dinking and dunking. This is a... Th- Let me just say that I, I typed in dinking and it auto-corrected or it auto-filled the rest and dunking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Don't Google that. Nobody Google that. D- dink and dunk football. Not... Dunk- nope. What is dink and dunk? Definition from sporting charts. A derogatory term for an offense that employs a passing game composed primarily of short passes downfield for modest games. Did you just type in dinking and dunking? No, I typed in dinking and dunking football because I don't want somebody's fetish, which of course, <laughs> no fetish shaming here. We're not going to yuck anybody's young. If you're a dinking and dunking person, that's fine. But <laughs> No, don't dink and dunk. It's a medical thing that you shouldn't... No, it isn't a medical thing, but it's a medical concern. Oh. Okay, Continue. well, if you have something that you're, if that's like a, uh, if that's the name of some sort of weird pairing from like Marvel slash uh, the world according to Alex Mack fanfic, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to yuck anybody's yum is all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. What is, what's your over under for this? 
my next over under. Wow, that was far afield. Uh, over under. No, no, no. For do you think it's going to be over under for five plus minutes of possession time? Uh, over. I just I think that okay. we're. I think that that you know usually we just are talking out of our butts here, but I think that's one that like Kirby and the Kirby and the boys are probably talking about that one. Kirby Almost and the certainly. boys. How, the, how Kirby and the boys going to get out of this one? Looks like Sheriff Barry Odom has cut him <laughs> off at the pass. Hopefully, there's not a flatbed truck turned into a ramp right beside the bridge god bless him all right over under drew lock 250 yards passing i'm gonna say under no i don't know that, oh that's tough no i'm gonna say over i'm gonna say over i think that it's gonna they're not gonna have a run game i think that drew lock's gonna be the only weapon and hopefully he doesn't get a ton of yards but i foresee him getting somewhere between 250 and 350 he's been averaging 300 so I don't foresee that being any different this game. I don't think he's going to quite get to 300, but yeah, I'm going to also say over. We've been pretty consistent this yeah. whole time. We, we've been kind of been in lock, lockstep so far. Yeah, so the updated spread now is 15 and a half in UGA's favor. Yep. And so my next over-under is U, UGA beats a spread by more than three points. Ooh, under. Under? I'd be very happy to be wrong. I think that it's going to be tough. I think that this game might surprise us. I really hope this game surprises us. I'm going to say over because I think that we're going to be right around that 20 point mark. And that, that factors into my prediction in a moment too. So I'm going to have to say over just to, to separate us from these over under woes of picking the same overs and unders. What's your last one? You got a crazy last one. Okay. Well, over under. So this is a, Normally we do like over under prop bets on specific aspects of the game, but this one is going to be over under pure point scored 70. And I'm going to say I over. Hate that. You're going to say over? Yep. Holy cow. I'm going to say under. I know that last year, what was the last year's score? It was like 45 38 or something ridiculous, wasn't yeah. it? Something nuts. No, it was like 53 20. Was it really? Yep. Dang. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a lot of points. So I'm, I'm going to have to say under. The actual over-under from the the Vegas books, from people who know way more about this than we are, uh, than we do currently, is at 64 and a half. So 70 is actually a little bit over the actual over-under. So okay. let, let, let's do, let's reset at that one. Give me, give me over-under 65. 65? I, that's tough. That's even tougher. Um, I'm still going to say under. Yeah, I'm going to say under for that just because... That factors into my predictions in a bit. So okay. I'm happy to say under. All right. What's your last one? My last one is Hot Rod Watch. Beep, 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 beep. Um, I think that Rodrigo Blankenship over under nine plus points. I'm going to say over. Yeah. Because I think there are multiple ways to get there. I think yeah. that if this is a close game, that he will probably kick a couple of field goals, just field goals and two field goals, and then extra points will probably do it because I think we're going to score on him. If it's not a close game, he could just literally kick seven extra points, and he'd be really yep. close. I'm also, I'm gonna say push for that one. You think it's gonna exactly be exactly nine, nine points? Okay. I think it's gonna be exactly nine, which is just really shot that's, shot collar. That's a very poor choice on my part, statistically uh, poor choice. But we'll see what happens. He's averaging about ten. Okay. All right, so final predictions. All right, you ready for this? So um, the current line on this projected margin for the S&P Plus is 15 and a half points. 
that is also pretty close to the current Vegas line, which is somewhere between 14 or 14 and a half. It opened it at 13. It popped up all the way to 15 and came back down to 14 uh, today as of when we are taping, which is, you know, Wednesday night. So I think it's going to be closer than either of those. I think this is probably about a 10-point game. And I specifically think because, you know, I don't want to give any credit to Derek Dooley, but he seems to have been pretty good at just getting out of Drew Locke's way to this point in the year. And their efficient pass game matches up very well against our lack of efficiency on defense. And I think that will be enough to keep it close. Now, but here is my... I'll tell you what I think is going to happen, and then I'll tell you something that you should look for. What I think is going to happen is that this is a game that is close all the way through the third quarter, and we get a stop and force a punt that doesn't feel like it's that important, but ends up basically deciding the game. And it's going to be something really innocuous. Like, it's going to be like a seven-point game halfway through the third, and they're going to have to punt, and we're going to meet, you know, score after, and it's going to become a 14-point game, and then that's going to change their game plan. However, they're, 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 to me, I can see three outcomes, Okay. I can see a Mizu close win where they dink and dunk, as is the, na- the word of the day. They just short, <laughs> they short passing us, game us to death, and we're very frustrated because our linebackers look lost, and they that opens up the run game, and just you know they just really kind of have their way with us and in- incrementally, and then we just have a bad day. And I, I can see that. I could see, you know, Missouri thirty-five, UGA twenty-eight. Okay, I can also see. And my official prediction is going to be UGA 45, Mizzou 35. I don't think this is a defense that's going to get many stops against us. Yeah. I really don't. And I think that we will get a couple of stops, that this is a good enough defense, right? We are very focused on the deficiencies on the defense, and, you know, they absolutely exist. But you have to still remember this is a top 20 defense in the nation. We harp on the bad things about UGA's defense. But what I will point out is that UGA's defense, the things they are bad at, they are only marginally bad at for the most part. Their marginal efficiency is 40th. Now, their worst oh, top-line defensive stat, UGA, our worst top-line defensive stat right now, is our success rate is 88th, which means pe- people are basically getting just chunk, you know, three or four-yard chunks against us on first, second, and third down. However, I feel like our analytical minds sort of bias us a little bit and make us forget that this is actually a pretty good defense to begin with. So, so there, I've outlined two scenarios, right? Close Mizzou win. My actual prediction, which is UGA 45, Mizzou 35, you know, relatively close UGA win, but also probably like the fourth quarter, it feels pretty comfortable after we get up 10, if that makes sense. And then I have one other, there's one other thing I need everyone to watch for, because this is, this is sort of like a, an ancillary prediction. If we break serve early in this game and we steal a possession, this is a much different game. And by break serve, by steal a possession, I mean if we get a defensive um, score or if we get a blocked punt or if we get a fourth down stop or if we get a surprise onside kick or anything that basically keeps their offense off the field and gives us two back-to-back drives, however that happens turnovers, penalties, whatever, this game could get way out of hand. Because I've been thinking about, you know, how do you make a defense that specializes, or how do you make an offense that specializes in efficiency uncomfortable? 
And particularly, how do you make an offense that specializes in efficiency and has a very inefficient defense on its side uncomfortable? And the answer to that is you put them in a position where they cannot afford to be efficient. And if this game gets big early, Drew Locke has the raw talent to keep them in this game on explosive plays. But to this point in the season, they have not been very good at that. And the thing about explosive plays is if you go for them and you don't allow them to develop organically, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not talking about like broken tackle explosive plays. I'm talking about like you call a four verts play. The thing about a play yeah. like four verts or deep crossing routes or whatever is that they are high risk, high reward. Not just because it is difficult to complete, a, to complete many of those passes, even for someone who is a you know, kind of surefire NFL prospect, uh, but also because those are plays where Havoc plays are more common. And so I think that there's a third outcome where UGA breaks serve early, and maybe it's not quite like DeAndre, DeAndre Baker pick six in the first three plays of the game, but something like that. UGA just gets an extra possession and converts it. And if that happens, I think this game could get out of hand in a pretty big way. So that is sort of my corollary prediction. I do think our defense comes out to play. I think there is going to be a lot more defensive line pressure. I don't think that that means necessarily we're going to have a lot of uh, like sacks necessarily, but we will have more havoc plays. There'll be a lot more pressure on the quarterback. I think we keep their offense under all night as best we can, keep them as short as possible, and try and make a lot more... Uh, create a lot more havoc in just the uh, the center field there and try and turn it, just like you said, try and break serve and try and get a turnover, try to do something uh, there before things get too crazy. And once that happens, I think that that'll change the entire tide of the game. It won't be as much of a volley back and forth, but I think we'll go into the second quarter and it'll feel like, uh, just from the eye test, it'll feel like we're a lot slower than we typically are. We're being a lot more conservative than we typically are, but... By the time we get to the third quarter, I think that we'll turn the Jets on and um, you'll see a lot more from more players. Uh, We'll be targeting a lot more. We'll be cycling through our running backs more quickly and we'll be making the plays we need to kind of close this game out. But I think going into halftime, I think we'll be probably 14 up. And then by the end of the game, um, I'm predicting a 41-20 win for EGA. Okay. I think that's a very good prediction. And let me just give you one other... Let me let me give let's flash back lot to last mm-hmm. year. All okay. right, so last year Mizzou came to UGA and lost 28 to 53. Now, this was in a time when UGA Mizzou was having a very bad season, but in that 28 they had a 24 21 point uh first half in which they were down 34 21 at the half, okay? Uh, after the half they scored seven points and that way they did not score seven points until they were down 53 to 21 yeah in the first half drew lock threw one two he threw all three of their uh touchdowns okay and the second half he had a pick and one touchdown and the difference in that game and the difference in those two halves was that at halftime kirby smart benched his incumbent starter at quarterback and started a relatively untested junior in DeAndre Walker. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it could happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, we could see a game and I guess the reason I go, I, I say all of that is to say that the, the, the narrative that we have coming out of last year's game was that, you know what? Mizzou actually scared Georgia in the first half a little bit, which they did. Like mm-hmm. they had a, yeah, they were sure. really completing some long passes against us. That's a hundred percent true. 
But that also glosses over the fact that when we got the right people deployed, we we shut them down. And Drew Locke is better. But this team, and this team is better. Missouri's team is better. So this game should be closer than 28-53. But they're not that much better. I think that this could be a classic. Drew Locke last year had... Uh, he was 16 for 25 for 253 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. This could be a classic great game in a losing effort. Freshman Jake Fromm with a much more hobbled pass offense and a much worse offense against this defense last year was 18 for 26 for 328 yards and two touchdowns and a pick. That's all I'm saying. Uh, out there. I'm not, I'm not predicting a blowout. I'm just saying if we walk into the fourth quarter and everyone's like, why were we worried? That's why, because their yep. defense is not very good. And, you know, last year we, we kind of, or last week, we kind of chuckled about MTSU saying like, well, the way you beat Georgia is play a perfect game. And, you know, that's sort of coach speak. And it's true for MTSU because that's what they had to do and they didn't do it, but it is much more applicably true to Missouri for yep. Missouri to win this game they have to play perfect they have to play out of their minds on defense and they cannot throw a pick they cannot have a turnover they cannot make any mistakes or this game is going to get out of hand so we'll see how it goes yeah I'm pretty excited about it this should be a fun game to watch I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch and I'm just telling you if we get an early pick six or something or we like break serve and we get up 14 nothing on these guys I'm gonna be I'm gonna be smiling I'm not gonna go and I'm not gonna say it's over but I I'll feel pretty good about it. I think it's going to be great. I'm pretty excited about it. Okay. So let's move into our final segment, which is Ask CBC. So if you want for us to answer a question you have and you'd like to be on the show, all you have to do is tweet at us or tag us on any of the social medias or email us. Just get in touch with us in some way and hashtag it AskCBC and you will see yourself on the show like all of these wonderful and fine people who have just now asked us questions. So... The very first question comes from longtime listener, longtime tweeter, Harrison, at Wow Cool Tweets. He asks, is it just me or has Jay Hayes not played much with the first team? Also, I feel like David Marshall was someone who we all felt would be a heavy contributor this season. We haven't seen that. Malik Herring also seems to be lost in the shuffle. Thoughts? Yeah, so David Marshall, Malik Herring, and Jay Hayes are sort of second team players right now. I think Willie Caring and David Marshall have actually had pretty good gears uh, so far, maybe unheralded years, but that's just how it is being on the defensive line. Currently, Malik Herring has four tackles, uh, a tackle and a half, or a run stuff and a half, um, and is giving up 2.6 yards per play for negative 3.6 marginal efficiency when plays come towards him. David Marshall, currently his line... See, that's funny. David Marshall and Jay Hayes, actually, I think Malik Herring has actually seen significant backup play, uh, backup time throughout all three games. And if we look at the MTSU game in particular, uh, Malik Herring only played four snaps, or he played 16 snaps total for, he played 24% of the defensive snaps. Um, Jay Hayes played 23 snaps total for 34% of the defensive snaps. And David Marshall played nine snaps total for 10, 10% of the defensive snaps. So their usage rate tells us that David Marshall is probably firmly third team. Um, Malik Harrington is probably firmly second team. And Jay Hayes is sort of rotating as, you know, sort of 2A on the center of the defensive line. The interesting thing is Malik Herring has definitely affected some games. He's had a very good marginal efficiency and run plays that go towards him. Uh, however, Jay Hayes and David Marshall, I have no information on because they have not touched the stat sheet. So Harrison, you're right. They have kind of been disappointing to this point this year. However, on the other hand, Mikhail Carter, I think has had a very, very, very good year. 
Okay, so Mikhail Carter to this to this time in the year has one solo tackle, one assisted tackle, two title tackles, and no havoc plays. Jay Hayes similarly has one assist, one solo, one assist for two total, no havoc havoc plays. So yes, those two have both been disappointments. Malik Herring already has five total tackles, including a very good and a very good efficiency rate when plays are run his way. So I think, yes, those two, long story short, those two are disappointments. We have a question from Philip Nowicki, who I, I was I actually, right. yeah, you did. I was actually in band with him. And actually also we were in Redcoats together, but then also our families knew each other when I lived in Franklin, Georgia, when I was cool. very young. Yeah. I think his family went to my (laughs) his family went to my dad's church when my dad was a preacher in Franklin, Georgia. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, he's like a he's like a cool preacher. Yeah, he is like a cool preacher. You know, like Amy Poehler and Mean Girls. He's definitely more like a yeah. He's a cool mom kind of preacher, but you know, you got it. He's definitely more like Amy Poehler and Mean Girls, and less like the preacher from the Kingsman movies. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Philip says, do you see UGA using this two QB system in a similar way that they did when David Green and DJ Shockley were here? And this is a question for you because I was not a UGA fan back then. Yes. Um, Although I will say that I think that Justin Fields is probably a more advanced thrower at this point in uh, a more advanced passer at this point in his career than DJ Shockley was. I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that uh, dual threat quarterbacks have better developed passing games at this point and just, you know, overall. So I think that it'll be similar in terms of like split snaps. And eventually I think that Justin Fields will have a more defined role. But I also think that Justin Fields can throw the ball more. It's for Macon Dog, uh, our friend over at Dog Sports. What is the most awe-inspiring stat you've come across from the first quarter of the UGA regular season? What is one that worries you a little going forward? All right. So a couple of, uh, I, I would like to just point out some single digit stats that I've come across that I think are pretty all inspiring. UGA defensively is number is number one in the nation and big play rate on open field possessions, which means if UGA is between if UGA is on defense and the opposing team possesses the ball between their 10 and UGA's 40, they are only uh, giving up big plays on 10% of snaps or no 1.2% of snaps. Sorry. UJ is also number one in marginal uh, rushing of explosiveness, which means that in any given play, you are negative 0.53 there. You, you have, you are very likely to get negative 0.53% of how explosive given uh, a play would be given the down and distance of the opponent you're playing. Uh, UGA is also currently on the offensive side. Number one in passing completion rate. We haven't passed that much, but that's still pretty awesome. And then yeah. I think my, my absolute total and complete favorite is that UGA is fifth in the nation and standard down line yards per carry. My old friend <laughs> standard down line yards. You know, I love, I love me some line yards, line yards, easy yards, easy, easy yards. What about things we're afraid of? I think that the biggest things we're probably afraid of is teams that are, uh, lethally efficient, yep. which we are about to get into an Alabama question, which Alabama is indeed lethally efficient. Yeah. I mean, the, Our, the, yeah. the most worrying stat to me is the 88, 88th ranked success rate. So that, that could be pretty rough. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's not so bad. Yeah. I think we're a pretty damn good team, as we all probably know. Anyway, next question is from Jonathan Ashley. He asks... He's one of my sousaphones. Yeah. What do the numbers say about the unbeatableness of Alabama? And so we tried really hard to find 
the uh what wh- where was the chink of the armor where's the achilles heel of this alabama there team? is not a lot there's not a lot there are very specific weaknesses to this alabama team so the biggest thing is their standard down sack rate is ranked 87th meaning we have less pressure to worry about in the pocket against alabama so at least there's that what else do we got um they are not very good at special teams they're not the 90th ranked special teams uh in per snp plus and also, if you kind of look in their special team breakdown, uh, they're 90th for a reason. They're yep. not very good at many things. They're 110th in punt efficiency, 41st in kickoff efficiency because they just kick touchbacks. They are 93rd in field goal value per kick and 102nd in punt return efficiency. Their only thing that they're good at is kick return efficiency, which is because they have so many weapons. So basically, any time they have to kick the ball, they're pretty yeah. bad at it. Yeah, it's become a meme now. That yeah, yeah. Alabama kicked a field goal. People Alabama kicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, their kicker so, missed in a in a sixty-two to seven dismantling of uh, Ole Miss. Their kicker missed two extra points, which didn't matter absurd. because they won by so much. But but they're just extra points. Yeah, I mean we see them kicked all the time. I, I can't claim that I would kick an extra point. I think I could do pretty well, but you know I can't say it before I do it. Anyway. So special teams and their sack rate right now, but really that sack rate might just mean because they want you to get a few yards because they know they can stop you from doing anything else. Who knows? Yeah, they're, well, they're also so they're so talented they don't really need to like push the passer. The last little piece, it, it's really not much of a weakness, but we were trying really hard to find something was that only sixty-seven percent of their first downs are coming on first and second down during standard downs, which is good for a rank of eightieth. So yeah. of course most teams first downs come in those first two downs. But they're but so because of that. they're so lethally efficient it just doesn't matter. Yeah, because their third their third down their I mean because on the other hand their third down conversion rates right now they're, stupid. Yeah, their success rate on third down third and long is second. Their success rate on third third and medium is 29th. So it's but like, because of that things like that we can try and make the team predictable, but yeah. they'll just change their game plan. Yeah. Well, and also like I don't know how good we are, so it might be a moot point. <laughs> You know what I mean? We'll figure it out. Next question comes from ATA. It just says spicy wings. I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a question, but if you're looking for an answer, mine's yes. ATA presidents are the honorable presidents of the Athens Trombone Association, which is the trombone section (laughs) at in the Redcoats. Um, Uh I'm assuming, and I'm going to try to edit my language here, this is just some typical trombone BS. Yeah. Moving on. I like that because my brother-in-law and his wife are both trombones. Yeah, actually, your, your brother-in-law and his wife were both ATA presidents. Were they really? I mean, they're all presidents. They wear red jackets. Oh, okay, that's fine. Just like how you guys are uh, members of ASS. Yeah, Athens Sousaphone Society. But we're more egalitarian. Yep. We don't have presidents. <laughs> it's more like, uh, a, it's more like a, a war band than a, than a republic. All right, Eric Russell. Okay. Eric Russell asks, a bit early to ask CBC, but how would you fix the fan experience at UGA? Okay, so I have not been a fan a lot, and I can't really speak. I mean, we generally get treated very well like as a band by the Athletics Association. I think that the biggest things that we would fix in the game day experience would probably have more to do with the nature of the NCAA than they would the nature of UGA in general. I mean, on UGA's side, I think, obviously, anything we can do to improve the reception in the stadium would be great because that's uh-huh. just the world we're living in, and I think it really matters. Um I think also in just a fan experience thing that we, the concessions at Sanford have gotten a lot better over the past couple of years, but they could still probably use a little bit of tuning up just because 
a lot of the people who run concessions at UGA are volunteers doing it on fundraisers for bands and ROTCs and like student organizations, which is awesome. And I think I want it to continue, but if just, we could have a little bit more training or a little bit more support for those people, I think that would be really helpful. And then I also think that, you know, the, the bathroom situation is not, is not great. Uh, and Sanford and just, you know, just, I think that on UGA side, there are just some small things that are pretty low impact in terms of their cost and how long they would take to complete that would really up the experience. Uh, on the NCAA side, I mean, the number one thing I would say that to fix the fan experience is just fewer commercials. Yeah, and th- th- this, this question, Jesus. this question came out of, um, the guys at M blog, they wrote a whole post about how many TV timeouts there were. And it was like, at some point in the first quarter in five, in five minutes of gameplay, there were 13 timeouts between TV timeouts, time stoppages for injuries and stoppages for penalties. You know, obviously nobody cares and they're not going to do anything because they make money, but that's, I mean, that's how. That's not that hard. Just do it. West Coast Mark asks, who is the best shutdown corner that Missouri has faced in the past two years and how did they perform versus average? Uh, I can tell you they threw a pick and only had one touchdown in the second half because the second half of the Georgia game last year, DeAndre Baker started and kind of just, shut down their best wide receiver and made a passing game that had put up 21 on UGA in the first half look really ineffective. It's DeAndre Baker and they did not do well. He is their daddy as well. He is everyone's daddy. He is everyone's dad. So I hope you guys have a wonderful Father's Day this year with our old boy DeAndre. Yeah, get him a sweater for God's sakes. (laughs) He'll wear it. Yeah. He's a good dad. Sam Rents asks, how about a CBC They Ain't Ready collaboration? Okay, so Sam Rents is another sousaphone who... He does these videos, these like very low budget videos where he just scream. Basically, it's all about how the other team, they ain't ready for us. Uh, They're they're charming. If you search they ain't ready UGA on uh, YouTube, you can see them. And yes, absolutely. We will do a collaboration. That sounds hilarious. Yeah, I saw my first one today and it's very funny. It it involved uh, who I assume is Sam Rents climbing out of the side of, I'm also guessing, a band box truck wearing some ridiculous wig and screaming for help, but also somehow simultaneously screaming about how the other team wasn't ready. Yes. And so it's very, yeah, it, it, it is like it low budget performance art. <laughs> uh, very last question. The <laughs> James Bearfield meme corner. Yeah. Is how would you equate our defense to the arrow paradox? And he says specifically not the archer paradox. Uh, the arrow paradox is a paradox that was uh, actually, put down by some ancient philosopher whose name I can't remember. Not even ancient. He just has a weird name and I can't remember it. Um, But basically the idea is that if you take any object that is quote unquote moving and you cut its frame of reference down into a timeless moment during which no time passes, that arrow is neither in the place it is going to nor in the place that is going. And if you consider that our frame of reference time-wise is so minuscule to the, you know, grand arc of the universe that basically all all objects are even motionless my only sort of editorial comment on this this one philosophically is that i think that what's 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 a much more interesting paradox is that everything is never not moving because all of our frame of references are inside a galactic elliptical plane which is itself rotating and then all of those are inside of the Earth's plane, which is itself rotating. And then the solar system, with ro- which is rotating. And the entire solar system is being, moving through the galaxy. And the entire galaxy is moving through the universe. So, you know, uh, if, one of the ways that I always illustrate this is the idea that if you actually, ta- if you traveled back in time, but you didn't move, you would actually travel back in time 
um, to a place thousands of miles in front of the Earth's orbit, because even though the Earth goes regularly around the sun, it has never been in the same place since it w- could support life. So how would I uh, relate that to our defense? Um, I would say that basically that our, that Richard LeCount and DeAndre Baker are so fast that they are always just there and they can never be said to be moving. I'm not sure how you always come up with an answer, but you always do. He's kind of, he softballed me these first two. Oh, did he? <laughs> I mean, the, these, like the arrow paradox and the ladder paradox are sort of like classic Nathan. They are, yeah. Like whenever I'm on Wikipedia and my wife comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm back on my BS. This is the kind of stuff <laughs> that I'm usually looking at. Our very last question from James Bearfield, Bearfield comes in and it is who would win in a fight if Nathan had his legs tied together, but Justin had no hands. All right, I'm interested. I know you've done a lot of research on this, so I want to hear your reply. You, we'll go like point counterpoint on this one. I wouldn't say I did a lot of research, but I started a lot of research, and then it it came down to just being entirely too much work um, to come up with just a ridiculous answer. But essentially, I started with let's define the word win, and what I defined win as was one of us gives up or is unable to say they give up and they cannot continue. So that's my first point, is just defining what a win is. And so say your legs are tied together, you're stationary, essentially. I have no hands. Really, I can continue to move, and you were stationary. So there is my, my first point of this. There's actually a game uh, like this called Super Fight. Have you heard of Super Fight? Yeah, yeah. Super Fight's an incredible game where you're given uh, some sort of, of person in this Super Fight, and then they're given a power and then you're also given like a weakness and then you have to argue with the other people whether yeah. or not yours would win and so that's essentially yeah. what i feel like we're doing right here so that that's my first counterpoint you're stationary i'm not counterpoint if we're counting a win as who gives up first you are a sweet boy and i am a mean angry man so we'll start there you're you're a nice you're a nice person <laughs> to that point you are a lot sweeter than you uh you uh let on i would say most okay definitely. additional counterpoint this is all this is all a moot thought experience because my legs the only thing in my life that I'm vain about physically are my legs. That is very true. I think you and I had actually like a 10 minute conversation once about how much you liked my legs. Yeah. And then you talked about how much your legs compare to mine and like the similarities and the differences. Yes. And our wives just sat there like, "What are you guys talking about?" One of my very good friends the other day said Ben Vasco, the former, my other Sousa daddy on, and Redcoats. Ben Vasco said the other day that, uh, find someone who loves you as much as Nathan loves his legs. <laughs> um, okay. So, so I, what, I, the- what I would say is that I would get to the point of defeat and then I would just like stop dealing with the facade and just rip open the restraints, be they metal okay. or plastic or rope. You probably would, but in the midst of that. So this is what I found out. This is the actual research I did. I, I did a lot of research into physics, which I haven't thought about in more than 10 years. I had to determine both of our masses. So the point of determining our masses was to find out our force and how much force we can deliver by multiplying our mass by our acceleration and finding our force in newtons. Right. So then what I had to find out was, on average, what is the general uh, number of newtons of force required to knock out a human being? And so there isn't a lot of reliable sources. There are not a lot of reliable sources on the internet to tell me this answer straight up. But I did find out that... On average, like a knockout blow from a professional boxer is 5,000 newtons of force straight to the chin. And so I think at least I could do anywhere from 500 to 1,000 newtons of force because, and you might say, Justin, you can't hit anybody even at 20% efficiency of a professional boxer, but a, a, a pretty typical hit 
is around 1100 newtons of force. Like if I'm putting all my everything, that is both my feet shoulder width apart, balancing both my my weight across both my legs, and I'm dealing a uh, just a full outstretched punch straight to your face, I can do 1100. I can apply 1100 uh, newtons of force to your face. And so that on average, what I found out can typically knock somebody out, especially if it hits specific uh, right on the chin. And so without hands, I have a smaller surface area from my, my nubs. I'm assuming I have, I have are, my hands. Are, are your nubs healed? I think so. I don't think that they would just chop them off and say, go fight Nathan. That would be pretty crude. You're just tied. Yeah. So I think I'm going to, in this scenario in my mind, they're like surgically removed. Hands. Yeah, they've been there's... surgically removed. They've healed. I just have nubs that I can use to punch, like really, uh, really efficient, like I don't like chopstick arms almost. But I have a smaller, uh, smaller surface area to apply pressure to your face, and so all of that is applied in a much smaller uh, area, straight to the chin, dealing more in a smaller area, a much more likely chance to knock you out is the idea. That's what I kind of what I'm going for here. Okay, I, I I would say that this really comes down to in football terms like an efficiency versus an explosiveness matchup, because I feel like if I punched you once full on square, it'd be over. But then also sure. like my mobility is really declining, so you're going to be going more for like the dink and I'm dunk. Dink and dunk you. You're going to dink and dunk off. You can dunk <laughs> offensively. So it really comes down to like who's in the better cardio shape at the moment, I think. Because the question is like if my feet are tied, if my arms are, or legs are tied together, am I standing or sitting? I guess it's up to you. What is the difference for you? I mean, I think sitting would be sort of an unfair advantage for me because then it like narrows the angle of attack that you can do and it lets me get my arms up way easier. Like it's uh-huh. way harder to p- punch a sitting man on the chin sure. than it is to punch someone who's like a foot taller than you. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So I think if the yeah. stipulation was that we had to be upright, like I, I, my legs were tied together, but for some reason I wasn't going to fall over. Like I was just, maybe my legs are like restrained more than tied together, you know? Like mm-hmm. that kind of thing, I think you would have the advantage there. But if like I can just if my legs are like roped together, I'm just gonna like basically like pull my knees up to my chest and effectively make, give myself a very small area on which I can be hit. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think you had the advantage if it's just like a standing up boxing match because also my legs being together means that that like decreases the effective force I can because like a lot of your punch power is generated in your hips. Mm-hmm. And if your legs are tied together, you don't have a lot of swivel. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of swivel at all. So, <laughs> this is a stupid question. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And what's even more stupid is that we just spent like, I mean, a good 15 minutes answering it. So let's get the hell we out really of here. We really did. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. See us out. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. Podcast. This includes Spotify. So hit us up on Spotify. Just add us to that beautiful Spotify rotation. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcover.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. You can yell at us on Twitter. I am at, at Nathan J. Lawrence, and he is at the Justin Bray. You did it. You know, come correct, though. Uh, you can also check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com. It basically just have everything you need all in one place. If you are feeling like you want to just get it efficiently, dink and dunk your CBC into Jesus. your body. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please leave us a rating and a review if you've not already on iTunes or whatever. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot more stratification of where people are getting their podcasts lately because of the introduction of Andrew Podcast, Android Podcast, and Spotify. But wherever you are, leave us a rating or review on whatever you can because it just helps grow our exposure. And we have a lot of very exciting things coming up that I think kind of rely on having good exposure. So 
we will catch you this weekend in Missouri or in the Classic City, which is where we'll actually be, but our hearts will be in Missouri. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs.